morning. Excuse me. Uh, today's Bible readings uh, come, there's two. Uh, come from, uh, the first one comes from Luke chapter 6, verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And the second Bible reading comes from um, Mark chapter 6, uh, verses 30 to 32. It's from the uh, passage about Jesus feeding the 5,000. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Radio. Well, great to be with you this morning. And um, as we've heard, and a few people have mentioned, we have started a, uh, a new series last week called Unhurry, um, where we're talking about, I guess, the uh, the practices of being unhurried, uh, of slowing and uh, and knowing God's presence, being present to God, and being present to each other. Um, so. Uh, that's, that's what we're going to continue to talk about today. And today we're actually going to get uh, a little bit more practical. And each of the following weeks, we're going to try and become quite practical in what this actually might look like in our lives and in the day today. Um, so for, I've, got, I've gotten to know uh, a few of you, and there's a, a many of you who I haven't got to know quite yet. I've been here, I think, around three months now. Um, so still fairly new, really. Um, if you don't know me well, uh, a little introduction to me is that I am generally a pretty calm type of person. I'm fairly uh, calm. There are some people who, uh, and it's great, uh, experience, you know, big highs and big lows and kind of ride that roller coaster of life. Uh, that's awesome. That, I don't find that to be me very often. I'm generally fairly even um, and uh, I'm, I'm able to stay fairly calm in most situations. That's most of the time anyway. However, there are a few situations in which this is not the case at all, not the case at all. And most of these situations usually involve being in a car, driving a car. Um, I have a pretty short fuse when I am driving a car or when I am in traffic. This is my confession time right now. Um, perhaps you can relate to that. Maybe that's you as well. Um, but this is where all of those pent-up emotions that I have tend to rear, you know, their head. It'll be in traffic in the car. I hate being in the slow lane in traffic. Um, I hate being in the slow lane. I'm always trying to work out which lane's going to be the faster lane, and I want to be in that lane. Um, I hate being caught behind a slow driver when you can't get around them. I hate that. Um, but I really hate, my most hated thing of all, actually, is when you're behind somebody and they're going to turn off, and that's what we have turning lanes for, right? You're supposed to get into the turning lane so that all of the other traffic can continue on at the same speed. But when people don't get in the turning lane or they only get half in the turning lane and so you still have to slow down behind them. I hate that most of all. Um, so me, I'm fairly calm most of the time, but that is when you will see me very cranky <laughs> is, is when somebody is not getting in the turning lane. Um, 
So as we've been preparing for this series and as I've been reading and preparing for this series, I've been really challenged about that, actually. Um, it's been the topic of conversation um, at home a little bit. Um, because I think that that behaviour of mine that I have in the car, that road rage, shall we say, uh, it may be a sign of something a little bit deeper going on in me. Um, it's a condition that I want to talk about today. It's a condition that um, an author called John Mark Comer, and a pastor, he calls hurry sickness. Um, and we have a quote uh, from him here today. He says that psychologists actually believe now that we suffer from something called hurry sickness, which is defined as a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness or an uncomfortable feeling in which someone feels chronically short of time and also tends to perform every task faster and get fl flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Hurry sickness. So I am thinking and I am convicted that my strong emotions that tend to come out in the car may have something to do with this. It's this idea that we are all in such a hurry all the time, we're all so busy and we feel an immense pressure uh, of the many things that we're supposed to get done and in a day or in a week and we're constantly sort of switched on and, and now we're seeing the effects of it um, in our lives and in society as a whole as well. That constant pressure and busyness uh, that we live with is taking a toll. So maybe you can see it in your own life as well. Maybe differently to me, maybe you do suffer with a bit of road rage as well. We can talk about that later <laughs> if you like. But maybe for you, there's other things and there's other signs. Um, so have a look at this. This is kind of a list, not an exhaustive list, but here's some things. Um, some signs might be that you are easily irritated or maybe there's certain situations that you're easily irritated. Snapping at people over things that really shouldn't matter. Maybe um, you tend to be hypersensitive sometimes, overreacting internally or externally to a comment or an email or other relatively minor thing. It can be that you're restless. You find it hard to actually stop and relax. And you feel the need to keep going and going and going and you just can't stop. Sometimes it's that we can be numb. We can feel numb to our own feelings um, or to other people's feelings as well. We're unaware of ourselves or of others. Sometimes it's escaping behavior. Um, so rather than being able to stop and slow down and, and just really be quiet, we use things like social media or Netflix or just being with other people constantly to escape from reality. Or maybe it's a feeling of being isolated from God or from others and, and not really being able to connect in the way that you would love to. So maybe you relate to something here on this list or perhaps there's other things, there's other things that you have or that happen in your life that you know that could be symptoms of your own version of hurry sickness. Um, and not only is this something that we can identify in our own lives, but this is something that we can see on a larger cultural scale as well, so in the world. So we know that the world, and I'm sure you've heard this as well, we know that the world, and Australia as well, is in the midst of a mental health crisis. We know that the rates of anxiety and depression have been rapidly increasing over the past few decades. We know, and I found this um, 
uh, shocking when I first um, heard it. We know that the average teenager today, the average teenager today is living with a level of anxiety that in the 50s would have been enough to put them in hospital. But that's our norm. That's the normal level of anxiety that teenagers live with. We know as well... Um, if anybody is, follows Brene Brown, the social researcher, we know that um, the cohort of people alive on the planet today are the most in debt, obese, addicted, medicated adult cohort in history. So this hurry sickness really is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, but it's absolutely part of the problem. It absolutely contributes to the problem. There's no question. This never-ending motion that we're constantly in, it takes a toll on our lives and, in, and on society as a whole as well. When Jesus said in John 10, 10, that he had come to give fullness of life, I'm not sure that hurried and stressed and anxious and depressed and medicated and numb is what he had in mind. So today I thought we would look at what Jesus did model, what Jesus did say and what he did model for us because Jesus was actually none of these things. Tim talked about this last week that, you know, Jesus was busy. (laughs) He was busy. He had a very full schedule. He had many, many people demanding many, many things from him. And yet Jesus never seemed rushed. It's hard to imagine Jesus snapping at somebody, you know, out of feeling tired and stressed. That's hard to picture. Jesus modeled a very different way of life, and he offers us a very different way of life as well. One that doesn't demand the draining of all of our physical and mental and emotional energy, but rather one that restores and replenishes us. A rhythm of life that allows for the busyness, yes, because life is busy, there's no escaping that, but not burnout a full life and a fulfilling life without the heavy burden as we heard about last week. So we're going to look now to Jesus and the way that he lived and the life that he invites us into. And as we've already said, we know that Jesus was very busy. He was a very busy person. He had a full schedule as revealed to us through the Gospels. And the demands on Jesus, I'm sure, were very immense and constant We often see those crowds, those huge crowds following him around. Everybody's wanting something from him. Everybody's trying to get to him. There are people reaching out to him, even grabbing him. So the workload for Jesus really was big in that sense, if you think about it that way. However, many times through Scripture, we also see Jesus stopping. We see this constantly. He stops He withdraws for a time to be alone. He prays. He seeks the Father's presence. And this is actually mentioned over 15 times throughout the Gospels. It's usually in among, you know, other significant moments and events that are taking place. And it's usually not not given much detail or much explanation of what's happening. It's usually only a verse or two, really. But it's always there, and it happens over and over and over. So a a few verses, just a few um, today. There's one from Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. In Mark 6, 46, after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. 
in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. So although it's rarely described at great length, Jesus taking time constantly to withdraw and pray was obviously important enough that the gospel writers wrote it down. It, often happened, it happened often enough that they thought, let's write this down, let's note this down, that Jesus would pause and retreat from the goings-ons goings of the day, from the demands of the day, from those crowds and those people, and he would take time to be alone with the Father in prayer. As we saw in our Bible reading that was uh, read out before, um, that he would do this even through the night. To, to Jesus, retreating to be in the Father's presence was more important even than sleep. I, I, I don't know that I can claim that. Um, Jesus, he would forsake sleep. In Luke 6, 12, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Uh, we can see this through, uh, through these verses, that Jesus withdrawing to be alone with the Father was a crucial aspect of his life, the way he operated, his ministry. Even more than this, though, was that after Jesus had sent out his disciples and they'd come back to him, he actually instructs them and sends them off to rest. Again, the, the reading we heard before, that the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going and they did not have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now it's not that Jesus and the disciples weren't busy, we know that. It's not that there they weren't constant demands on their time, they weren't, or they weren't uh, always inundated with people or work, it's, but it's that they intentionally, intentionally took time to retreat to the quiet and to rest. They made time to retreat to the quiet. So when we really pay attention to Jesus' life and to the ways he instructs his followers to live, we can see that this hurried pace, this anxious inner world, this hurry sickness um, that's so prevalent among us today, it actually is not at all the way of Jesus, nor is it the way Jesus intends or expects or desires us to live. Jesus' call to his followers is not burnout. It's not feeling frazzled or being afflicted by hurry sickness. Jesus' call is to continually be renewed and refreshed in the presence of God as he reminds us who he is and therefore who we are as his children. This quiet place with God is not a place of hurry or stress. It is a place that gives true life, fulfillment and joy. Now, in 2021, as a follower of Jesus, this practice of withdrawal and quiet and prayer is a lot easier said than done, isn't it? A lot easier said than done. We, we already talked about the fast-paced nature of the world that we live in. Things are so, so different now to back then. Everything has sped up in our world. Everything is so much faster. Uh, what would have taken a few days journey, a few days like trip to get somewhere, we can now do in a matter of hours. It's unimaginable um, to the people of that time. We send messages across the world in an instant, an instant. Un unimaginable for, for those people. We receive news the moment that it happens. 
even if it's on the other side of the world or the other side of the country, we know straight away. So I remember reading about the early colonies in New South Wales and how they would wait eagerly for um, the ships to arrive from England, from London, with, with the news. What's the latest news? But by the time that news got there, it was three weeks old. Um, but it was exciting news, even though it was old news, really. But things took a lot longer. Things are so much faster now. All of this development was supposed to make our lives simpler. That's why it was all invented, right? It was supposed to make our lives simpler and easier and give us more time to enjoy life, um, to, to slow down. And, and the idea that is, if we speed all of these tasks up that we go about every single day, that means that we'll have more time to do other things, right? To relax and have fun and rest and all of those good things. In fact, people thought that the internet, when the internet was invented, it would mean, it, they thought that it would save us so much time because everything was so quick now, everything was so instant. We would save so much time in our weeks that the working week would be, could be reduced to four days and we would have three-day weekends. That's what we thought. Did that happen? No, absolutely not. Exactly the opposite happened. In fact, the internet doesn't mean that we work less. In fact, it means we work more. We're more connected to our work and to the happenings of the world 24-7. We don't work less, we work more. So with all of this technology and all of this speed, we are actually busier now than ever, squeezing more and more and more in. Every time a gap opens up in our calendar, there is a long list of things waiting just to fill that gap as quick as they can. It's so difficult to escape the constant need and constant busyness. But the fact that the world is so much faster now is not a reason for us not to pay attention to this part of Jesus' life. It would be easy to write this whole you know, thing off, this practice of Jesus to withdraw and, and retreat and be in the quiet. Yeah. Well, it was very different then. You know, It was a lot slower back then. They weren't as busy back then, so of course they could just you know, trundle off into retreat and being quiet. It was so much easier. It was so much you know, it was slower paced back then. That's just, just not realistic in our day and age, let's be honest. But I think when we look at what's happening in our hurried world and this hurry sickness that affects so many of us, we realize that we actually need this teaching to slow down, to stop, to be quiet, to be still more than ever. I know that we're all very busy and important, but I doubt that any of us would claim that our work or our lives or our ministry even is more important than that of Jesus. And yet with Jesus, with Jesus' very important mission and ministry, the most important mission and ministry, with the crowds and with the constant demands, he continually withdrew, retreated to the quiet to be with the Father. Jesus was able to slow down, to stop, to withdraw because of the confidence he had in the Father. And stopping to be with the Father increased that confidence in him. Jesus had an incredible like internal steadfastness and security that allowed him to stop and retreat from his very important work. I, I think as we consider the world that we live in and the busyness and the pace and the hurry sickness and the mental health crisis, I believe that this peace that Jesus not only possessed but sought to bring to the world is something that we so desperately need. We so desperately need on a global scale, 
but it's also a peace that we need individually in our, in our own hearts. In Philippians, um, Paul talks about this peace. He talks about a peace that transcends understanding in Philippians 4 verse 7. And the word for peace here um, in the New Testament in the Greek is um, irene. Um, but you probably know, you would have heard it in the, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament as shalom, shalom peace. Shalom peace is a peace that only God gives. It is a wholeness. It means wholeness. It is a balance and a fullness that only comes from God. This shalom peace that Jesus carried shows us that the point is not just to physically withdraw, to, just for the sake of it, just to physically redraw, redraw, uh, withdraw and sit in the quiet, although that's certainly an important part of the practice. It's also about an internal quietening that opens up to God's holy presence, that gives way to that inner wholeness, that inner confidence, that inner peace that only comes from God. The problem is that most of the time, we don't stop. Most of the time, we don't stop, or even if we do physically stop and rest, we are often still busy internally, aren't we? We're still worrying about something, or we're still watching something, or listening to something, or reading something. We don't really quieten enough internally to know God's presence in that moment or experience that peace, that wholeness that his presence brings. I'm going to put my hand up and say I'm, I'm going to be the first to acknowledge that I find it pretty hard sometimes to truly stop, to truly be quiet, not just physically. I like to stop physically and take naps. That's great. But internally, I mean, to truly be alone in silence with God. That's hard because the more stressful a time is, or the more pain there is in a situation, the harder it can be to truly stop. It can be scary, in fact, because so often when we come to a stop physically, that's when our minds become the loudest. Why is sleep so hard for so many people in stressful times? Because it, it can be so hard to be truly silent. So we distract ourselves, don't we? We keep busy with, with busyness, you know, with stuff, with people, with Netflix, with books, with social media, with podcasts, maybe really good things, but we keep busy enough that we're never actually quiet or still. It's much, much easier to drown out what's really happening in those deep places than allow it to kind of bubble up in those quiet moments. But this is not the way of Jesus. This is not what he modeled for us, and this is not what he wants for us. He says, come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden light. This quiet place with God is not a place of heavy burden. It's not a place of suffering or torment where our wounds are poked at. The quiet place with God is a place of peace a place of shalom, wholeness, a place where we can hand our burdens over and as he promises, be made light. The quiet place with God gives fullness of life. It is relief from the noise and the chaos, both externally and internally. We talked earlier about the hurry sickness 
the hurry sickness that so many of us are afflicted with in this hurried world. And, uh, you know, I think the state of being distracted and constantly busy and constantly exposed to so much noise is something that the enemy lavishes. He loves. He loves that we remain busy and hurried and distracted and constantly surrounded by noise. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He writes about this in his book, The Screwtape Letters. Um, if you're not familiar with The Screwtape Letters, it's a, it's a book, it's really a, um, quite allegorical um, in nature in that it, it features two fictional demons, a senior demon and a junior demon, uh, that write letters and it gives insight into, you know, how they think, you know, how they work as they, you know, into, you know, mess with humans and God's creation. And at one point, they talk about exactly this. They talk about the constant noise and the busyness and the distraction um, in the world as being one of their tools. Um, and in fact, it says, um, the demon says, we will make the whole universe a noise in the end. This never-ending stream of noise and distraction, it's so destructive, not just physically and mentally as we've talked about, but spiritually as well. It actually robs us from that inner shalom, wholeness, and life to the fullest that Jesus came to give us. So as we consider all of these things today, it's worth asking ourselves, how comfortable am I with silence? How comfortable am I with inner silence as well as external silence? When was the last time I knew that shalom peace, that wholeness of Jesus? When was the last time I was able to be in that quiet place with him? Or is that something you find hard to do as I sometimes do? Is that something you find hard to do? And why is it? that you find that hard to do. John Mark Homer again, he says um, that in the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. In other words, the things that have your attention are what, when you eventually look back over your life, will have become your life. The problem is that if we never stop and be still long enough it's possible we may never realize where our attention is going. We'll just keep going without ever thinking about it, without ever reflecting long enough to readjust our focus, only to wake up one day and realize that life has passed us by and we kind of just let it without ever really doing anything on purpose. So perhaps, perhaps this week we could reflect a little on what has our attention most of the time. Is it the worries and the stress? Is it Netflix? Is it social media or the news? What holds your attention most of the time? It's good to reflect on where your attention goes. What has the attention of your heart? And are these the things that you want to have the attention of your heart? What would it take for us to find ways to pursue that quiet place with God like Jesus did? to seek that shalom wholeness that only comes from God? What would it look like to follow the example of Jesus when it comes to withdrawing and being quiet um, in prayer in the presence of God? 
I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. We looked at this last week, but um, the passage um, and the way Eugene uh, Peterson talks about it, um, it's just so relevant to to this, what we're talking about today. Um, So Matthew 11, 28 to 30, in the message says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I think that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I love the idea of the rhythm of being with God, that recurring nature of grace. And I think this idea of retreating to the quiet to be with God is a rhythm that we can build into our lives. It's also a discipline because it's probably not just going to happen, as we know. It's something to intentionally do and pursue, especially in our day and age. Our culture really values productivity, doesn't it? It really values busyness. It's good to be busy. So to pause and retreat and to be quiet, that can actually feel really difficult. That can be really hard. It can feel unproductive even, unnatural, like a waste of time maybe. We have to fight that thought. This is an incredibly countercultural concept in that way, which is why it takes discipline to practice it. But Jesus says it will be worth it. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That sounds good. That sounds so good. Can you imagine if Christians were known as those people who were peaceful and present? Imagine if Christians were known as people who were peaceful and present. Those people who live freely and lightly. How amazing that would be. So what would it look like to practice the discipline of retreating to the quiet for you? Quiet externally, being in the quiet externally, but also internally like we talked about. How could you build that rhythm into the rhythm of your days, of your weeks, of your years? Perhaps it's finding time every day to be still and quiet. Even something as simple as um, just not, not having something causing noise. Maybe it's when you're in the car, turn the radio off just for a while. Have nothing on, just to be in the quiet. Don't have TV on when you're having breakfast, just be in the quiet. Maybe it's finding just five to ten minutes, if this is new, if this is new to you, five to ten minutes in the day to retreat to the quiet and practice just being quiet. Tuning yourself into God for just five or ten minutes. Spending time in prayer. And when I say prayer, um, it's not just coming to God, you know, with that list, with the essay of things that I want to say to you, God, here's my monologue for you to hear. But prayer can just be being in God's presence, tuning your heart into his, knowing his closeness with you, knowing his deep grace for you, his approval of you. Imagine doing that just a few times a week. It's starting to pay attention to the things that you're paying attention to. What consumes your thoughts throughout the day? 
What has the attention, what has the attention of your heart most of the time? Perhaps it's thinking about building rhythms of, of retreat and rest into your calendar. Maybe it's even booking in some, some times of, of, of retreat sessions, some being away, some times of rest throughout the year and making sure they happen. I'm not going to prescribe to you, obviously, what this is going to look like for you because we are all in different phases of life, aren't we? We have different demands on our time and on our attention and, and we're all very different, I think, in the way that we connect with God. He has made us all differently. But the main question is, what would it look like for you to be intentional about building a rhythm of retreat and quietness into your life? It's okay if it can't be big, but what's realistic for you? So our prayer in this series, and, and particularly as we sort of pursue this practice of, of retreat and quietness or silence and solitude, um, our prayer is that we might start to experience that incredible peace that Jesus talks about, that shalom wholeness that Jesus carried and offers us as well. May we, as followers of Jesus, not fall victim to that hurry sickness that is so prevalent in our world, but may we be bearers of the shalom peace that is God's gift to us. There's that story, you know, of Jesus in the storm with the disciples on the boat, and Jesus was the calm in the storm as it raged around them. Jesus was the calm. May we be the calm in the storm that is our culture, the peace in the constant noise and distractions of the world as we seek the peaceful presence of Jesus in our own lives, in our own hearts. May we then usher that peaceful presence into the world into our worlds. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that it's recorded in your word that you would retreat to be in the quiet, to be in solitude, to be with the Father, Thank you that it's recorded there again and again and again so that we might know all these years later just how important that practice is, that practice of being alone and retreating. God, we need that now more than ever, perhaps, in our world and in our culture. We're hurry sickness. We're mental health. All of these things are enormous, God. We need you. We need that that shalom, peace, that wholeness, God, that you offer, that you bring. That's what we need. God, I pray that um, this week, each of us might find time to reflect on this practice of yours, God, that you invite us into. That we might reflect on what has the attention of our hearts. That we might reflect on, on why it is that we might find it hard to be in the silent. But God, I pray that we might feel just your, your invitation, that we might know your invitation into the quiet place with you, a place that is not burdensome. It's not hard. God, it's a place of peace. It's a place of, of restoration and wholeness. Would you invite us into that place, God? Help us to build that rhythm into our lives. Help us to build that discipline into our lives. That's so countercultural. 
God, that we might be just a people of peace. We might usher this peace into our, our world and our culture that so desperately needs it. God, thank you just for your love, for your grace for us. Thank you for your approval of us, Lord. I just pray that you would, um, yeah, just cement these practices into our hearts and into our lives, Lord Jesus. Amen.